0: Well, I'm talking about tonight. I've called it, so, what are you building? Or, in other words, I should put it another way, what are we building? Because it's not about an individual doing their own thing, it's about all of us doing something together. But more than that, did you know you're a builder? You might think, oh, well, you know, I'm not very good with the old hammer and nails or whatever. In fact, I'm not very good at that either. (laughs) Chris has had to help me out (laughs) before too. It's, It's not really my thing. But the fact is that in the kingdom of God we're all builders and God has given that to us to build. And so if we are a builder in the kingdom of God, what does that mean? What am I building? So we have to ask ourselves, what are we building? So I'm going to have a look at that tonight. Now, if I said to you this tonight that we were going to knock down this whole building, flatten it out completely, and we had an open checkbook, we had you know money was not an issue, we had all the building material that we we wanted everywhere that we wanted, I mean, if you could redesign this place, what would you do? How would you dream about it? <laughs> What colours would you have? What design would you have? What materials would you use? Would you have an open skylight? Would you have special effects? Would you have a water tank with fish in it right over the whole wall? I mean, what would you do? (laughs) Yeah, Bill Gates has got one in his lounge. He's got a whole wall, big wall, and it's full of fish. Fish. That's in his lounge. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he clings to that. (laughs) Now, if I said to you, "Okay, right, well, the materials are out there. Let's go and build it," what do you think would happen? (laughs) Can you imagine? I don't know how many people at the Rock—four hundred or—Imagine how many people are here. Everyone going outside, taking bits and pieces, and trying to you know assemble some sort of building here. What would you have? You'd have a mess. I like this. No, I like this. (laughs) No, you can't put that there. I want that over there. No, I got that first. No, you didn't. You could imagine the chaos that would be there. It would be very difficult to get a consensus. Why? Because, sorry? No plan, yeah. But we're all different. We all have different tastes. None of us are the same, correct? We're all different. So, if we're going to build something, what do you think we need? Well, I'm going to look at something, that sort, of say, sort of a, sort of a guideline anyway. I'm not a builder, but we'll, we'll, you'll have to put up with me anyway. <laughs> First of all, you've got a client, somebody that knows what they want, somebody who's got an idea of how they want it and how it's shaped and everything like that. They've got it dreamed in their head, and they they go and talk to an architect. An architect. The responsibility is to download those plans from that person and to be able to draw them accurately in an accurate representation of what that person wants. Then the, an inspector, I mostly call it the inspector, the guy that issues the permit. Yeah, ever come across those guys? Yeah, they've got to do their job though because they've got to make sure that the building's up to standard and things can be done and things can't, you know, it's got to be done to a certain uh, standard. Then you've got the foreman, the one in charge, who has to understand the plan and has to relay it to the builders so they understand clearly on how to build it or what to build. And then, of course, you have the builders who also have to understand the plan and the means and the ways to actually build it. Am I right so far? Is it all right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then of course you've got the one that goes out and hires the workers. Somebody's got to do the work. Anyone here built their own home? Yeah? Any problems at all that you encounter? (laughs) She's laughing. (laughs) Sometimes it's not straightforward, is it? You know, some, I've heard of clients where they've, they've spoken with the architect and they said they want this and this and this. And the architects have gone away and drawn up plans. And when you've looked at it, you thought, there's nothing like what I've dreamt or seen. Or you say to the architect, and this is a, quite a common one look, I've only got $350,000 to play around with. Can you go and draw us a plan? And so forth. And they come back with some fantastic thing but it's only worth 750000 You know, it's that oh, the frustration of getting it, and it's got to go down, downsize it, and do all that sort of thing. Or you get uh, um, the foreman or the builders not quite drawing it, to, not building it accurately enough, and there's mistakes made. No, I didn't want that there. It says here, I want it over there. It's frustrations. Or you can get shoddy workmanship. You know, I, I, I remember one guy that uh, was working on some flats. And so, not well, they were sort of apartments, I should say. And he said, oh, he was so frustrated by some of the level of thinking and, and the way that some people worked on it. He said so there was one group that was working on it on this, this particular wall and there was this cupboard to go on the wall. So they shifted it out on an angle from the wall and they were working on the wall. They left it to dry. They came, they went out, they came back and the people who'd done the carpet had done it. Guess what? They went around the, the wardrobe that had been moved out. They said, what? <laughs> Shoddy workmanship. But you get it. You see, There is frustration in doing it. But if you've had the frustration, then you can understand the frustration God must feel when everybody's trying to build their own thing. And a lot of Christians are trying to do, oh, this is my ministry and my ministry and this and this and that. And and everybody's running in their own directions. But God actually has a plan and a purpose. And it's so important for us to hook into that. Sometimes it means letting go of your own thing. <laughs> and God is very intentional about what He's building in the earth today. And sometimes we have to let it go. And Greg said, you know, we find our destiny, our purpose, in God's plan. I remember years ago trying to do my own plan. Well, Sandra and I ran a ministry, a music ministry that we were working with, and it was very successful. And yet God told us to lay it down. And that was really hard. But God, that's my destiny. But God was saying, let it go. But God, that was my identity was tied up in that. Actually, in fact, our identity is tied up in him. In fact, since I let that go, I've had more freedom than anything else. And as I've begun to hook into his plan and purposes, i found that a lot of the things that I had left behind are suddenly being fulfilled. So, if you hook into His, you will find your destiny. You'll find it. But it's in together, not doing our own thing. People, we are His church. Not building. Uh, sorry. <coughs> excuse me. We are His church. God is building us as living stones together, forming and shaping us and fitting us together. And it's so important that we realize that we're not individuals. Well, we are individuals. God's given us every—I mean, all sorts of different things. But you know, we're here as a body, all walking in the same direction. But to help us, to help understand what God is building in the earth, we need to have a look at some of the tools that God has given us. And one is the fivefold ministry. Let me explain it this way: the client, if you like, is God. He knows exactly what he's building. He knows exactly the plan and the purpose for what he's doing. The architect is like the apostles. The apostles download the blueprints, the plan of what God is doing and puts it out on pieces of paper accurately and then releases it to the church. The prophets are like the inspectors. They declare God's intent and make sure that we keep on track and keep within the guidelines that God is doing. Then the teachers are like the foremans. They have to relay the plans to the builders so they clearly understand what we're building and that there's no confusion. Then you get the, uh, the pastors are like the builders if you like and what they do there is they've got to build people's lives but they get around and they disciple them not just patting them on the back saying they're there but encouraging them to walk in the process of what God is building. Everybody's doing the same thing. And then of course the evangelists are like the ones going out and getting the workers to bring them in. But it's not just painting a picture of salvation, it's painting a picture of the kingdom, which is, just, which is bigger than just salvation. It's a far bigger picture. And then it comes to us. We do the work. We do the work of what we've been trained to do. So what does it say? It says in Ephesians four eleven to 16 it says this, and it really key verse. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the edifying of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all, everybody say all, come to the unity of the faith and, and the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ that we may no longer be Children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth of love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the Head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's an incredible verse to break it down. God has given us the fivefold ministry to build the body. That's you and me. So that it functions the way it's meant to function and to grow so that we may all grow up into the unity of the faith. But more than that, into the fullness of Christ, into His stature. There's just so much. So we're not tossed to and fro, but we're maturing and growing. It's a really important thing. Okay, so if we're building something in the natural, the things that we need are what? We've said a plan, materials and unity or one heart and mind, right? Well, let's look at one uh, building site that had all those components. It's found in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Now it said in verse 1, now the whole Earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, "Come, let us build, or oh, sorry, make bricks and bake them thoroughly." They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for, for um, asphalt for mortar. And they said, "Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in heaven in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves." lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. It's <coughs> an amazing thing, the Tower of Babel. It actually means the gate of God or there's another translation, the gate of confusion. It really signifies religious confusion. That's what it really means. The people had everything going for themselves. They found this incredible plane on which to build. It had all the resources that they needed. They had water. They had all sorts of things. In fact, they had the Euphrates River and the Tigris River there. It was lush. It was green. It had everything they wanted to build a spectacular building. They also had unity. Come, let us. Wow, isn't that great? They had unity, which is fantastic. They had one mind to build the most incredible building that had ever been on the face of the earth. It was going to be inspiring and fantastic. It was going to be seen for miles around. Wow, what could they do? And then it was was really like a picture of the church. the, the, The city represents the church and the tower speaks of intercessory prayer or ministry. All looks good on the surface, reaching up into the heavens. Oh, what wonder it would be! What closeness with God it would be. It all looks fantastic on the outside. They ticked all the right boxes. It looked really good. But let's have a look at this. They built two near rivers. Oh, they built near two rivers, and the plains of the Chaldeans and the Babylons it was near, one day would become the Babylonian Empire. What does Babylon represent? It represents the worldly mentalities or mindsets set up in opposition to God. So I wonder where those mindsets, where the plans really came from. Well, at least the materials are okay, aren't they? Surely. But what did they use? Well, they used bricks. What's bricks made up of? A whole lot of mixtures of different things, elements put together, mixtures, and then put into a a mould and baked. You know, it's mainly sand, but what's sand? Sand is rocks that have been broken down over a period of time. You know, we have had so much broken down over the period of time. Some of us, we struggle to actually know what is of God and what isn't of God because there's a whole of the mixtures all around us and I'm guilty of that as of anybody. And these mixtures get in and around us and then we try and take our our reference points from these mixtures to work out is this the right way or is that the right way to go. Bricks are also made in moulds, everyone the same. They all look the same. I'll come back to that point later. They also used um, asphalt for mortar. Mortar holds things together but over a period of time can also become very brittle and break. you know where they got the mortar from? They actually got it from the pits of Sodom and Gomorrah to build that tower. Whoa, I didn't realise that. Gosh. So the worldly unclean filth can infiltrate every little bit around us sometimes and we don't even realise it. Cool. Who's now for the Tower of Babel? (laughs) But you know, we get so used to feeding this beast, if you like. We have to build some fantastic program to draw them all in. But then another church does another program and some people start leaving for that church because it's more popular. So we've got to build something even bigger to try and attract. You know what I mean? What's the next best big thing? But not only that, they also put whitewash over over the building itself. Whitewash covered up the cracks. It covered up the defects in the building. It made the outside look really, really good, but on the inside it could look not so good. And in fact, Jesus to- told, what do you call the Pharisees? You whitewashed <laughs> people because the Pharisees were very good and building a life of what looked good on the outside but on the inside the hearts were far from God. And I think we've all done that. I know I have. When I've tried to cover things up and yet on the inside, oh God, <laughs> some housework needs going on in there. <laughs> and look at the hidden agendas underneath. Come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves, this would be scattered over the whole face of the earth. Ourselves are mentioned twice, twice in one sentence. Left to our own devices, what do we do? We become very self-focused. A tower really represents the ministry that would become a focal point to see how glorious it would become. You know, it's, it's been sad, but some ministries have become almost like an idol. And people, and not that they set the ministries up like that, but some of our hearts, we've looked to a certain person and almost idolised them. They've become so big in our eyes that they, whoo they're just amazing. But that's not what God is building. They're not the focal point. And at the bottom of it was not to build a name for God, It was to build a name for themselves. Built in exact... uh, But in all of it, it was built in opposition to God's plan. What was God's plan for the earth? He said, go forth and multiply and cover the earth. And here they're saying, let's build a city, let's hold on and let's stay here. Exact opposite to what God was doing. So for the key for us, oh sorry, they missed the most important thing of all. Who? God. They left him outside. So when you're building, God has to be part, the number one thing in your life. Otherwise you just build something that's man-made. What are you building in and around your life? So the key for us is to see and to understand God's plan and the way he wants to build, so that we can sit into what he's doing rather than anything else. And that is why we need to have sight of clarity as one, being able to see what God is doing. So let's now have a look at another building scenario, which is Nehemiah. I love the book of Nehemiah, but this time it was birthed in God. Nehemiah, I'm just, to, I'm just going to paraphrase some of this and read just some of the verses just for the sake of time. But Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 3. Uh, and Nehemiah um, was a cupbearer in the household of the king and uh, these people came from Jerusalem and it says in verse 3, and they said to me, the survivors who were left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, I pray, Lord, the God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep the covenant and the mercy uh, and mercy with sorry, and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please that your ear be attentive, and your eyes be opened that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants and Then Nehemiah was granted incredible favor by the king to go to Jerusalem, he had all these wonderful provisions and everything, and he goes and when he gets there, it said that uh, uh, two enemies were looking out and they heard and they were deeply distressed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. And then in verse, uh, chapter 2 verse 11, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days and then I arose in the night. And what he did was he went around the different parts of the wall and he saw the different things that were going on around there. He observed the broken doors. He saw the stones that were burned with fire. He saw the rubble. He saw the people. He saw all those things. He didn't even say anything, but he observed the whole thing. Then he said to them, he said to the people, you see the distress we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be approached. And I told them the hand of my God had been upon me and also the king's word that he had spoken to me. And so they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands on this good work. And then the next chapter, Elashib, the high priest rose up with his brethren and with his family and the priests and they built the sheep's gate and they consecrated and hung its doors. And then it says, "And the person next to him Rose up and built something, and the person next to him built up and rose something, and the person next to him rose up and built something. Something was happening. And last of all, in chapter six, so the war was finished. Fifty-two days. You see how big that place is. It's like, if I suppose the equivalent of is that imagine sitting around Christchurch at the moment, and suddenly God inspires you to rise up and build. Quite different. So let's have a look at this. Nehemiah, we have a situation where the people of Jerusalem lived within the ruins of a destroyed city. Again, it's sort of similar to what the church is like today. There's a lot of ruins around the place, of churches trying to build their own thing, but they've left nothing but ruins. They felt weak, they felt powerless and insignificant, always coming under the ridicule of the world. They were left, literally left in a vulnerable situation, open to attacks from the enemy with no one to protect them. They'd lost their way and felt despondent and disillusioned. Now each was living for their own little world. It was survival mode. When you're in survival mode, who do you look out for? Number one. All these little groups of people, some of their families, and like, always looking out and protecting number one, trying to survive in the midst of the ruins. The walls not only were broken down but their houses were broken down as well. It was a mess. Uh, Sandra and I have been down to Christchurch a number of times. You want to have a look at the faces and the anguish on some of these people's faces. You can see the pain in them and, and the pain of what they've been living through. This is what these people were like as well. It wasn't the greatest situation to start a building project. But guess what? That God's timing does not always fit into our reasoning. God is doing something special in us right now. And in the natural we can look and we can see this doesn't make sense, it doesn't fit. But it doesn't have to fit to according to our reasoning because God is opening our eyes to be able to see differently. We need to have spiritual sight to see and understanding what he is doing so that we can connect to what he is building on the earth. Otherwise, we'll just continue building. What the, We'll just take things from the world, tweak it a little bit, change it here and there, and then just call it a Christian thing. The same old thing. See, then the man, now this is more, if you get nothing out of the sermon but this point, I'll be happy. Then Nehemiah encountered God. And everything comes back to his encounter. And the same thing with you. Encountering God will change your life. More than anything. Because it starts building something in you. You are a living stone. Being shaped and changed by God. But without that encounter, nothing will happen. Isaiah, when he met, you know, he's, he has a revelation of who God is. Boy, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. He suddenly sees everything for who he is. And then the angel of God takes around and touches his mouth and says, I've made you clean. And then he says, you know, who will I send? And he says, here, send me. The thing is, we often try and go to the sending part first without the encounter. God wants us to encounter Him first and then everything flows out of that because it changes lives. So Nehemiah encountered God. It all comes back to our intimacy with God and more than anything in this whole move of God right now is God wants intimacy with you. More than anything else because that's who, when you have a revelation of who He is you have a revelation of who you are. It's that taking the blindness from our eyes and seeing things. In Nehemiah's case, it started a chain of events of God unfolding his plan and his purpose. It would bring God's people back to himself, not to Nehemiah, to himself. So who was this mighty man? Was he a mighty warrior? Was he a famous star? Was he an incredible intellectual? Or was he even royalty? No, he was a cupbearer. A who? A cupbearer. You know, you've heard of Nehemiah? A cupbearer? Who? Everybody would have said who in those days. In fact, it was a very responsible job. I'm not trying to put his job down. But who was he? He was no one of importance. But God, couldn't you have picked somebody a little bit more, with a little bit more razzmatazz, or somebody with a bit more, you know, something? Bright lights or something with a, you know, an amazing personality? I mean, first of all, you pick the most terrible time and then you pick a nobody. What are you doing, God? The fact is that God is looking for hearts that are open and hungry for Him. And often He picks those that we'd all disregard or we'd overlook ourselves. And you know the most amazing thing is that as a church we are all in contention for that. I'm not just saying individuals here but as a heart, as a hungry heart. If we have a hungry heart as a body of people that's what God's looking for. Those that say, not say that we've got it all together but God, you know, just take us as we are and use us. It's amazing what God can do with people that are willing and open. Anyway, he was a man with a burden. He had a burden and he encountered God. You know what he did? He learned to wait on God. And we need to wait on God to hear His voice, to experience His love, to allow Him to change us. You know, Nehemiah could have rushed off to Jerusalem and tried to rebuild the wall in his own strength, but he didn't. In fact, they rebuilt it in 52 days. He spent longer waiting on God and praying and interceding than he did taking time to build the church, or build the walls. So we need to have time before God to get everything accurate before God. Don't rush it. So in reality, so he was waiting for God and it says that God placed something in his heart. See, he had a burden, all right, but then God placed something in his heart. It says, so you might carry a burden, but give that burden back to him and allow him to put what his plans are in your heart and then you can see it and understand it. It's different because you can be weighed down with a burden, but when you've listened to God and he puts solutions in your heart, it was way beyond what we could see, you know? It's a totally different thing it says, because when he explains it, he says, I'll tell you what God placed in my heart. So we know he had a download, so his main you know his burdens, sorry, he was a man who encountered God. this burden was not but uh, was not his own, but God's. What about the walls of Jerusalem? Was he interested about the walls of Jerusalem? Was it about the the broken down walls or the burnt stones? Was it all about what? What was this burden all about? It wasn't about the walls. It was about the people. It says in verse 6, I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel. And then later on it says, the enemies of the people were deeply disturbed because the man had come to seek the well-being of the children. I wonder how many times we would have been more interested in the walls than the people. In fact, people are the building. We are the walls, but not physical walls. God's heart is towards living stones, his children, you and I, that we we'll uh, and that we would build a close, deep relationship with Him. Nehemiah's heart was to build the people, not the wall. He built the people, and the people built the wall. But it started with Nehemiah building with a relationship with God first. You know, you can only reproduce what you are. If you spend time with God, you can only repro- it'll flow out of you. But you can't try and do what God wants you to do if you're doing it in your own strength because it won't flow out of you. So you have to experience that. As in some ways Nehemiah is a type of apostle, a shadow type. One of the building tools that God uses in the fivefold ministry. In some ways that uh, he downloads God's plan for his day and from that point onwards he's appointed by God and not by man. The thing with apostles are they are appointed by God. Paul wasn't appointed by any man at all. He says it was God that appointed him. He was only a cupbearer in Nehemiah, but he was appointed by God to do something to download His plans. And no man asked him to do it to accomplish. In the natural, it seemed impossible, and in the natural for us, it may seem impossible too. But that's exactly right because then we have to rely on God to do it. It has to be of God and not of us. From this point onwards, he carries a new weight or a mantle of authority that wasn't his, but God's. And God gets behind him. The amazing thing is that when we start to walk in God's plans and purposes, suddenly the whole resources of heaven are downloaded to accomplish it. He had all the backing of God behind him. And when we start walking accurately with God and building what He wants us to do in the earth, guess what? those things are released. The resources are released to us as well. But to entrust those who are good stewards of his resources. In Nehemiah's case, door opened after door and the materials needed came and the money and all of those things came. It's because his motives were right. It was simply to carry out God's plan and not his. And I know in all my heart that this church wants to carry out God's heart and plan. I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your hearts. There has been such a shift and a change. Over the last year, it's been wonderful to see. I'm seeing people starting to wake up. I'm seeing people's eyes starting to open. But God just doesn't want just some of us. He wants all of us as a body to be incorporated in this. See, apostles, they bring heavenly realities into the earth. They birth the heavenly downloads and lay and construct accurate foundations for others to build upon. Often they have to break up the old ground first in order to shift the mindsets of people entrenched in old mentalities and helps to bring new sight and perspective to those to where it has not been. So that's what they do. They bring new sight where no one has been able to see before. And I'll prove it. Let's have a look at this. Look at the events that suddenly took place. He's arrived at Jerusalem. Guess what? There is no billboard there saying Nehemiah and flashing lights. He's unknown. No one knows him at all. He has wisdom and insights. And this is what I love about him. Because of that time with God and putting and receiving what God had placed in his heart, suddenly when he goes out and he looks and he sees those broken down walls and he sees all those things that are all around the place and he sees the people, but guess what he sees them as? He sees them as builders. He doesn't see them as broken down people. He doesn't see them as re- um, disregarded uh, people who are no good anymore. He sees every person, whether they, there was a solo mother or whether there was a baker or whether there was a town clerk or whether there was this or that. It didn't matter that to him. He saw them as God's family and builders. I wonder what we see when we're in God's presence, what do we see when we look out? Do we see people as builders in the kingdom of God? It's amazing what you see differently when you get into God's perspective. So, he imparts the vision to them. He imparts the vision. And his words produce life. The ge- this is, these have been generations now. Seventy years have almost gone by. You know, these have been quite a few generations that have been entrenched in the ruins of Jerusalem. And they were set in their ways. They couldn't break out of it. They lived in constant fear, without hope and living in ruins. And yet when this man speaks, sight begins to come to their eyes as they realise that God has a plan and a purpose for them as a corporate body, to begin to capture it by revelation in their hearts. Something happened as he spoke. He spoke the vision of what God's plan was. They downloaded it, they caught it themselves, and something stirred in here. And there is a stirring in the spirit in this church as God is downloading his plans into this place. Are you hearing it? Are you beginning to tune into it? And then suddenly they say this. Their sight was sorry, their sight was lifted from the impossibilities of the earth into the heavenly realms and onto God themselves. They've been living like this, looking down here for so long, and then suddenly their eyes are lifted. And it says their response is this Let God oh, sorry, let us arise and build. Suddenly, let us it's not let me and you, let us as a body rise. Everybody stirred up Suddenly there's a change of posture from being down here to standing up. And when God starts to interact with your heart and life, something happens on the inside that changes your posture. You start to feel like a person. And I know I've shared my testimony a number of times how I thought I was useless and hopeless. But when God was working in my life, I suddenly realized who I was in God and it changed my life. My posture changed suddenly I had confidence and boldness where I'd never had before. And that's what happens when God gets hold of you. And note when the people started to rise up, guess what? They didn't run in all different directions building their own thing. They said, God, this is God's plan and we want to fulfill it. We're excited about it. See, they found, they saw what God's was. They let go of their own dreams. I'm sure a lot of them had their own dreams. You know, I was meant to be doing this. Years ago I ran this. Years ago I did this. I had a prophecy that said this or that. You know, if we let that go, a lot of it will be fulfilled in doing what God says. It's when we hold on to it. It's my ministry. It's my this or my that. That God can't work it. He's got to prize it out of your hand. You know, God wants us to let everything go and you'll find it'll be fulfilled. They made, they, and you know, these were the most incredible times because they felt fulfillment and a deep satisfaction within them. Wow. And you will too. Anyway, they made God's work their priority. And I wonder what we have to let go to make God's work priority. That's a big challenging one for all of us, me included, all of us. Because all of this, is, we're entering into something far greater than our own little plan. It's a global plan. It's big. An incredible thing happened. Almost everybody responded. The weak, the strong, the young, the old everybody responded with one heart and one mind to accomplish God's plan. They changed from living for themselves and doing their own thing for doing everything for the kingdom of God. There was restoration suddenly taking place. These people were so down and about everything, moaning about this and grizzling about this. Some were caught up with all sorts of different things, but suddenly they're released because they're doing something for God. Their focus is on God and a lot of the problems started to slip away. And you'll find that when you start walking in the God's plans, a lot of things that have bound or held you back will begin to slip off. Not always, but a lot of the times it will because your focus has shifted. I know that has happened in my life. Anyway, almost there. They inspired each other. They inspired each other. Every person. They helped each other, they protected each other, they stood shoulder to shoulder, they built in family units. It an incredible picture of the church building together. And they built in families, it says. This family took care of this part of the wall, and this family took that care of the p- part of the wall. And they all protected each other. And when somebody was feeling a bit weak, they they get them up and they held them strong. But everybody built that wall. It wasn't the strong. It was everybody. So I want to encourage you today. Whether you feel weak or strong or young or old, it doesn't matter because God wants your heart and to build with that. And next to him was so-and-so and and next to him. You know, it's like they built some families. As a family, we are the church, sorry, we're the rock family. I wonder what other churches building next door to us. And I wonder what next, uh, the church is building on this side. And I wonder what church is building on that side. It's a much bigger picture, isn't it? We're just building one part of the wall. And when you know God is working in a lot of churches in this nation right now, getting them back in line with what he's doing. So we will find that we're building one part of the wall, but there'll be other churches building the other side. Isn't it exciting? It's to be part of something bigger than just ourselves. It has to be of God. Did they have opposition? You sure bet they did. They did have a lot of opposition. But because of the conviction and the revelation of what they'd received, it wasn't Nehemiah's vision anymore. It was theirs. They owned it in their heart. And when you allow God to capture your heart, it suddenly becomes yours. It becomes ours. This is not just Greg's vision. This is God's vision outworking in us. They took ownership and no one was going to stop them. So, what were the building materials? Just very quickly, they used stones. They said the stones had been burnt with fire. You know, sometimes God tests us. Sometimes we get burnt. Sometimes, you know, things happen where God has to trim some edges, sharp edges off us where we have to go through the fire. We don't stay in the fire, we keep walking through the fire. But God refines us and remolds us and reshapes us into the shape He wants us to be. You see, bricks, I mentioned bricks, they were all moulded into one little thing. I mean, they were the same shape and the same size, the same colour, everything. Now, guess what? None of us here are cloned. am I right? As far as I know, (laughs) Simon, you don't look like Kirk. (laughs) used to (laughs) you're totally different and yet you're brothers in the Lord we're all totally different none of us are the same but God is basically shipping and shaping us and, and taking off those rough edges and joining us together so we fit together as a body we're not the same but we're so unique which is fantastic that's what God wants being fitted together. So what was the mortar being used? You know what? Can I borrow your chewing gum? Have you got chewing gum? No. (laughs) Oh, you have? Sorry, I didn't see that. Now, if I could stick you two together, that would be great. (laughs) Did he use chewing gum? No. To build those walls, they didn't use any mortar. They were fitted perfectly together. And that's what God is doing. Fitting us perfectly together. Isn't it an amazing picture? But we're all part of it. We don't want to have gaps in the wall because we're all fit in that wall. So I encourage you to be part of that wall. And guess what really does bind us all together? God's love. Without that love we can't stand together. You know... When we go through difficult times, is it going to be programs that are going to hold us together? It's God's love that holds us together. Will we support each other on either side? Will we build each other up? We strengthen each other. We encourage. Man, God's love binds us together. And it talks about the gates and the doors were rehung. It's the things about what we let in and let out. What do we guard over our hearts and our minds? We need to put those gates back up. We need to be watching out for this family, for those gates. And each section was built between towers and those towers represent prayer. They represent intercession. They represent being able to see into a new site and level to protect the body. So these weak, insecure, vulnerable people that were written off by the world did what was considered impossible. They built the wall in record time, 52 days. I don't know whether you've seen the wall of Jerusalem. They're not small stones. (laughs) They're big stones. And they didn't have the cranes that we have today, but they built it in 52 days. Look, it says, it affected the nations. Because they felt the fear of God come upon them when they saw God's hand was upon them. See, Nehemiah didn't get the glory. God got the glory. People feared God because suddenly the church came alive and people say, wow, we haven't seen that before. It has to be God. It couldn't be no one else. They didn't fear Nehemiah. They feared God. But it didn't stop there. And I could go on, but I'm not going to but they tasted. these people had tasted of the kingdom. They tasted of the something of God. They had built a physical wall, but there wasn't enough. They'd done something practical and together we might be able to build the walls of us inside us because we are the living stones, not the building. We are the church. But it wasn't just enough to be fitted together. They hungered, if you go on later on, Yes, they were restored, but they hungered for God. As it says, and later on it says, that they hungered as one man. They tasted of God and they said, but we want the God that Nehemiah has a close relationship with. We want that too. We want that above anything else. We want to get in touch with God. And it changed them. So it's not just enough just to be part of the wall. It's our heart. Because it's built by a relationship here and in here with each other. And that's what holds the wall together. It was the start of the most incredible journey of transformation through these people. I'm just going to read very quickly what happens and I'm going to finish. Nehemiah chapter 7 was really a rediscovery of their heritage and who they were in a return from captivity. Nehemiah chapter 8 it talked about that personal intimacy with God as one man. They hungered for the word, for his presence. And it's almost like a shadow type of the fivefold ministry there if you look there as well. Chapter 9 talks about a personal adjustment and ownership uh, as his body plus separating himself for his purposes alone. Chapter 10 they went on to another higher uh, level with God where they talk about making a covenant with God and with the people. And a covenant is a new relation was well, a deeper relationship than just how do you do on a Sunday morning. It's a deeper working of God. Then chapters 11 and 12 talk about the order, God's order and people being positioned accurately to function in the office that was given. And lastly in chapter 13 it talks about the clearing out of the rubbish in our hearts and lives. An incredible journey those people went on. All because one man released what God's plans and purposes were for their lives. They caught it, but they wanted more of God. So, I wonder if the musicians could come up. Each chapter, those people flourished. And we find our fulfilment in Him and, his, uh, his, and building our relationship with Him as we work together, as we build God's purposes and plans. You know, I want to encourage each of you particularly to listen to Greg's sermon. Last, uh, last uh, Sunday morning, He released into the congregation what God has been laying on his heart. He just gave a broad picture, if you like, of what he's going to be downloading and imparting to us. And it's really, really important for us to catch hold of it because it's where we're going as a church and what we're doing. So instead of running off and doing all sorts of different things in the church, we're listening and catching it ourselves. We suddenly arise up in our spirit man and we walk together as one man into that, bringing the gifts and talents of what we've got and we release it upon the earth. Isn't it incredible? But, but we're not that good. We, we're this or that. We're only a few here and a few there. That's exactly who God chose. You are an incredible body of people that God has placed together building in love and that's what he's doing so what are we building first of all our relationship with him first and foremost we build it with him and it flows out as we build together as a body amen let's stand father we thank you we bless you lord that you are the builder the architect of our lives and we allow you Lord God, to have your way in our lives. And Father, we just are excited about what you're doing in our hearts and lives. And Lord, we surrender to you. Father, we know that, Lord God, the cross of Jesus Christ was the most incredible, powerful thing ever to happen on the earth. Because Lord, it was a place of exchange where you gave your life for us. That we could have a relationship with you. And that relationship with you is the most important thing of all because out of that relationship with you builds relationships with others. Lord, we are part of the wall that you're building. Lord God, and your plans upon the earth. And I pray that, Lord, you join us together with your love. Oh, Lord God, fill us with your heart. Fill us with your desires. We lay all of ours down. And I pray that our hearts will be in line with your purposes. Lord, give us the ability to hear what Greg is downloading to us at the moment. May we see it in vision. May we understand and capture it by revelation in our hearts. That we may, as a people, rise up as one man, one body, and pursue what you are doing in the midst of us. Thank you, Lord. And everybody's here.